Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Histories of the Unexpected, the show in which we demonstrate that everything, simply everything you could possibly think of, has its own history, like nappies, toothpaste and shampoo. (laughs) These are all items, Sam, would you believe, that are required for the refugee crisis in Ukraine at the moment. Uh, And there are all manner of places where you can donate money to support the humanitarian efforts currently underway in neighbouring countries and are providing... A safe haven. In fact, this was what we, my daughters, went in and dropped this uh, at school. These very items at school just yesterday. However, that's a t- t- that is to digress, because what we should be doing and what we will be doing is following the links in our minds as we come across them, explaining very carefully indeed how those histories link together in unexpected ways. Who knew, for example, Sam? Who knew that the history of surprises? I was going to say here, the history of surprises is in fact a surprise. We're not going to tell you. You have to go and listen <laughs> to the episode to find out. Mm. But just very as a taster, good episode. very yeah. good episode, just as a taster, it's about the history of jack-in-the-boxes and remarkable finds of archaeologists. It's also about the Schifferstadt gold hat. It's about ambushes and surprise attacks. Think Trojan horse. And it's also about unexpected political victories and surprise election votes. It's also about ghosts and booing out. Did you know that? (laughs) If not, you've got to go and listen to it. Or did you know that the history of bravery is in fact all about the people of the Ukraine and President Zelensky, uh, who is doing a splendid job? I wonder how history will look back on on his role, his his leadership. Favourably. I think so. He's doing an extraordinary job. I mean, what other world leader has spoken to the US Senate and to the House of Commons um, within days of each other and had standing ovations? Um, that's that's a that's a, that's a that's a conversation stopper there and then, Sam Willis. <laughs> yeah, we we don't have the answer to that. Um, but uh, yes, I, it's um, all interesting stuff. Um, let me tell you of my fellow presenter that if history was a hug, 
a wave, a brave nod, a cheery smile, an unending embrace, a tearful tearing apart, this man would be the photographer, the artist, the poet, the playwright who would witness it and write it down, capturing that moment forever for the likes of us humble observers of the past to see how the wonderful cultural creation of The Farewell has changed over time. He is Professor Extraordinaire of Early Modern British History at Plymouth University. He is Professor James Daybell. Hello, James. Hello, hello. And you may well be wondering who is that unattributed voice so ably helping Daybell co-pilot this very episode. Well, let's just say that if he were a... Wait for it. If he were a farewell-related historian bidding adieu to the misconceptions of the past, he wouldn't shed a tear at saying goodbye to the third-rate scholarship and misunderstandings of the past, kicking to the curb the use and abuse of history by dictators worldwide. No siree, Bob. For him, farewell to bad (laughs) historical practice is greeted by a fond hello to unsurpassed historical endeavour, which will liberate history from oppression and invasion by tyrants, charlatans and Sunday-driving amateurs. Yes, it's the famous historical adventurer, Dr Sam Willis. (laughs) Sunday-driving amateurs, that's a bit cheeky, isn't it? Goodness me. I love it. It's one of those great outtakes from Histories of the Unexpected. They said, what has Sunday driving got to do with saying goodbye? Well, who knows? Who knows? And it doesn't matter. Uh, Guys, today we are doing the history of farewells uh, because we are doing as many themes as we can linked with what's going on in the Ukraine at the minute. And one of the saddest things um, to witness is everyone saying goodbye uh, to each other as uh, people are trying to make their way out of the Ukraine to safety. Some really um, appalling scenes, uh, particularly at transport hubs uh, around the country. I was seeing some footage from Lviv the other day, uh, which was really very, uh, very upsetting. So we decided we would do the history of farewells. Um, I wasn't quite entirely sure where to start here, James. There are so many different places to look at it. But I thought one of the obvious places was, um, big, you know... Well, I think let's let's let's. I'm going to rewind a little bit, because um, farewells. What is a farewell? It, it's more permanent than a goodbye. I think that was the point I was going from. It's not like a see you later. I'm not going to see you in in you know, ten minutes because I'm nipping out for a pizza. It's a much more permanent thing. Now that itself has changed over time because of the way that we travel, and because of safety associated with travel so even sort of saying goodbye to someone who was um now i might say farewell to goodbye to someone who's going to america but i'm not really saying farewell forever but back in the 17th century or the 18th century there was a very very good chance that your goodbye would in fact be a farewell and that you would never ever see them again so i was thinking about that um but more broadly with what's going on in the ukraine it struck me that there are some fairly significant farewells to to the, the the world order as we know it, which have happened over the last few years, and they keep on coming. We've got, um, I think, a farewell to our relationship with Europe, which has happened by Brexit. I think that's never going to be the same again. A farewell to being overly um, relaxed and confident about the absence of pandemics. That's not going to happen again, at least not for a very, very long a time indeed. Um, there's been a very Im- important farewell to an acceptance of domestic peace in America after the riots in Congress. And now, with the Russian invasion of Ukraine, we've got a farewell to peace in Europe. And I was reading today that Liz Truss is saying that it's going to 
change the way that the world thinks as profoundly as did the terrorist attacks in 9-11. So while we are navigating our way through the modern world, um, what's happening happening here is that there are there are seem to be very regular incidences of of the world fundamentally changing and not being the same as it was before. So that was my my starting point, James. To 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 you could quite happily focus. And my point is, that you could take this idea and you look back on back in history and see these kind of crucial moments where the world has changed. And um, and also appreciate how our historical understanding of that moment has changed in time. So the point that you made about what we'll think of Zelensky is actually um, very appropriate to what we're thinking about now. Because in 50 years time, what will we think about this moment where we did say farewell to uh, an established um, established political order in Europe? Oh, very deep, very deep. So for you, the history of farewells is literally the history of paradigms. So it's about these huge sort of shifts in the way in which things have done, the sort of realignment of of geopolitical tectonic plates, but also Mm, shifts in cultural norms and behaviours. For me, farewells was something much more emotional and much more personal. And I suppose what it is, it's around... You've talked there, I think, about great sweeping historical forces. We've talked about that sort of idea of the sort of rise of of history across the sort of um, medieval into the modern. You're seeing great sort of forces at work that you know, tie together and entangle a global world as people sort of move out and we can think of empire, we can think of trade, we can think of diplomacy. All of those are large movements of people. And what that does in some ways, it entangles and brings people together. And we can think about that in terms of a history of of contact and cultural encounter. But also the obverse of that is that actually those same forces that bring people together in fact bring people apart Uh, because you simply in order to go and invade somewhere in order to go and make war somewhere in order to go and trade somewhere you are saying farewell to somebody at home and it's in those kind of interpersonal farewells that I think the the history of separation lies and this is something that I'm working on at the moment with uh, a group of friends uh, in Sweden and Australia putting together a big project. And so some of what I'm thinking about around this is around the emotions. And I think we've seen we've seen with things like COVID and lockdown, the farewells that people have had, unable to see each other for, you know, maybe six months to a year. Um, and also when you have a look at the events that have been you know, unfolding not just in Ukraine, but in Myanmar, in Afghanistan, in Syria, in places like uh, even Iraq. You know, you're having people who are displaced, um, refugees who are constantly uh, having to confront the act of saying goodbye to loved ones that they may or may not see, you know, in in their lifetime again and I think just to echo what you're saying about what we're seeing on our news screens our social media feeds you know wherever you get your your news the images are heartbreaking visceral horrifying whether it be a a family 
that is fleeing Ukraine. They are driving on a road if they can. They the tales of you know the men in the family who are dropping wives, daughters, sons at the border and then going back to fight, not being allowed out of the country. And there are so many sort of tear jerking things around that. I mean, one of the most um, one of the most heart wrenching that I read was of somebody who was describing how. Um, you know how she was just left without her her husband anymore um and this was reported in the guardian and we've lost a lot of things we lost my father i left my husband behind at the border my heart is broken because i've never been without him he's a part of me the biggest part of me and now he's not with me there are no men with us and so she she goes on sort of explaining all the circumstances but these images of fathers having to go off to fight saying goodbye to the family going off in in on trains one boy uh, i saw a sort of young boy who had a relative's phone number in Slovakia written on the back of his hand. This was on the uh, BBC uh, news website uh, a couple of days ago. And his mother basically gave him to strangers, put him on a train and said, you know, go off, you know, take take care of him. And he then turns up in Slovakia and, and is able to... Um, contact relatives in the Slovak capital and they come along and find him and all he has is this sort of phone number written on his hand and a piece of paper in his pocket in order to contact people so you've constantly got people being pulled apart and I think there's a really interesting history of that kind of that emotional dimension uh, to to the past how do people say goodbye how do those feelings manifest themselves I and mean, of course what we're talking about is the communication of emotion here but the, the, I've got a couple of examples around this one from uh, 16th century Korea and another from World War One uh, that I'm that I'm going to talk about when we when I when I get into full flight Sam Willis <laughs> Are we not there yet, James? We're not there yet. No, no, no. But I'm super excited about this. I mean, I'm as much as you can be excited about. But I mean, from a historical point of view. Yeah, yeah. Um, let me uh, pick you up on what you were talking about. Um, that you know, the, these these journeys which are happening in the Ukraine. And what I was saying earlier about the dangers of travelling. Because I think that's actually crucial to it. Because there are some people now in the Ukraine who will be saying farewell. Because there is a very, very high likelihood they won't see. Uh, the person they've said goodbye to again. So if you think about roads, and here we've got the roads we, we're reading about um, in the uh, humanitarian corridors allowing uh, passage of civilians, are that some of them have been mined, um, and that even not in those corridors, you've got the dangers of being shelled, you've got the dangers of coming across um, Russian convoys and tanks, and whatever it might be. So but think about how that change, that that's different to our relationship with roads normally, and then our relationship with roads in the past. So nowadays, roads, they're just away from A to B. So for, for me, I mean, I live in Devon, and the only danger I might consider comes from traffic accidents. But for centuries before now, but well, before the Industrial Revolution particularly, because that's when you had the introduction of turnpikes, gates, patrols on the roads. Uh, roads were this very clear source of fear, of anxiety. And um, there was a very clear reason for that, and that's primarily you've got robbers who are lurking there, and they're waiting to intercept and to steal things and to beat people up and to generally cause havoc in the countrysides. 
Um, it's also worth thinking about how settlements work. So you've got settlements of, of all types, really, are much more spread out. So Exeter, where I live now, is growing and growing and growing. Got these new towns on the outsides. But, you know, even like 20 or 30 years ago, it was so much more... Um, insular, so much more isolated. There were clear gaps between Exeter and 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 um, you know the villages outside, which have now been filled in. But if you take that principle and you apply it to the entire country, you think you've got these. You're thinking about these villages and towns, which are hugely isolated, and they are very very spread out. And in between it, you've got a landscape which is utterly dominated by woodland, moorland, heath. And fields, and that meant travelling was incredibly isolated and wild. Even now, if I travelled to Birmingham, wherever I would be, I'd be surrounded all the time by other people. But back in the 18th century, 17th century, 16th century, and so on, roads, um, they were isolated, they were wild, and that made the whole business of travelling frightening um, and unpredictable. For the traveller, but one of the problems with it is that to travel from A to B, you do have to go on a road, um, because that's the only way that your car is going to, the wheels in your car are going to cope with. Um, you, because you've got such dense woodland as well, the tracks, the pathways are what allow you and your horses, or whether you're on foot, to get to simply get through. Unfortunately, that meant that people no, knew where you would be travelling to from A to B. It's the same principle as pirates attacking ships in the West Indies in the 18th century because they knew exactly where people would be arriving because people would be arriving on their ships uh, at very uh, specific locations which they knew to be safe, where you could see the land from a long way off where the water was deep, where the wind, uh, the prevailing winds would blow. So you've got this this problem in that travelling is isolated, but travelling is also very predictable, and that made it very easy indeed for uh, robbers to... Uh, to, to quickly attack and then make an escape route. And then you've got to add to the fact, of course, that there's no formal police force. Uh, there's a few watchmen around in towns and cities. But the Metropolitan Police Force in London, that's not established until 1822. And other cities follow in the subsequent decades. But for such a long period before then, there is no protection. Um, there's isolation. There's fear. And there's predictability of direction. Um, and that's just made it a, a, an absolute nightmare. So some interesting parallels there, James, I think, with um, between the, the poor people who are trying to travel across these Ukrainian roads, which once were very safe and now are not safe at all. Mm, we should do the history of roads. I think that yes, would be fascinating as well, mm. roads and corridors. Well, I'm going to go back to what I was talking about earlier on, which is the First World War and indeed the emotions of parting. And one of the things I'm interested in there is it's that sort of moment of separation from those um, at home and those who are going off to fight and how we how we recover that in in various forms. And there are two examples that I'm going to use to sort of unpack some of the emotions that are connected with that. The first is a poem. Uh, it's by a, a lesser-known World War I poet called Robert Nichols, who actually survived the war. Uh, he was born in 1893 and died in 1944. Uh, he's somebody who was... Uh, educated at Winchester School, Oxford educated. He's connected to some of the sort of more famous fellow war poets, people like Rupert Brooke, Siegfried Sassoon, who he stuck, struck up friendships with. He, We see him sort of participating in the war. 
Um, his military service is between 1914 and 1916. He was in the Battle of Luz in 1915. He is, is sort of invalided home with shell shock um, and um, he's sent back home to England in 1916. And the poem that I'm going to read you is a poem, uh, uh, coincidentally, called Farewell, uh, which was written on Expeditionary Force Leave in 1915. And it first appeared in London in November 1917. It was first published there. And then it was republished in February 1918 in a an anthology called The Muse in Arms, which was a collection of war poems by people who were fighting and seeing action during the Great War. For the last time, maybe, upon the knoll I stand, the eve is golden, languid, sad. Day, like a tragic actor, plays his role to the last whispered word and falls gold-clad. I, too, take leave of all I ever had. They shall not say I went with heavy heart. Heavy I am, but soon I shall be free. I love them all, but oh, I now depart. A little sadly, strangely, fearfully, as one who goes to try a mystery. The bell is sounding down in Dedlam Vale. Be still, O belt, too often standing here, when all the air was tremulous, fine and pale. Thy golden note, so calm, so still, so clear, out of my stony heart has struck a tear, and now tears are not mine, I have release from all the former and the later pain, like the mid-sea I rock in boundless peace, soothed by the charity of the deep-sea rain. Calm rain, calm sea, calm found, long sought in vain. O bronzen pines, evening of gold and blue, steep mellow slope, brimmed twilight pools below, hushed trees still veil dissolving in the dew. Farewell, farewell, there is no more to do. We have been happy, happy, now I go. I mean, I think the, I, I, the problem I have with a poem like this in seeking out emotion is what you have is a very refined literary response to it. And I find much more personalised, much simpler forms of expression beyond poetry. And the kinds of stories that really touch the most are those that survive of scribbled, very personal encounters. And I want to share with you... Uh, one example um, which relates to a man called Sergeant Major George Cavan, uh, who was Scottish, uh, and he was going off to fight uh, in the war. And he was called off and very short notice, and he sort of rushed to, to sort of get ready. And as he was leaving uh, Carluke Station, which is a town in Scotland, he was leaving, and on the platform his his wife uh jean cavan uh was standing there and he scribbled very hastily on a note and put it in a matchbox and hurled it out of the window saying you know give this to jean cavan and lo and behold she managed to pick it up and she opened it up and inside it the note simply read dearest wife and bairns off to France, love to you all, Daddy. And 15 days later, 
he was killed in action in on the front line during the Ludendorff offensive which is a series of german attacks on the western front beginning on the 21st of march 1918 and what's fascinating is this small matchbox with this pencil written hasty note to his family put in it passed down the family line and went from mother to daughter to granddaughter and then ended up in a military museum where it survives today and mrs rogers who is the the um i think the the granddaughter uh remembers remarks about this the matchbox and letter were treasured by my grandmother for the rest of her life my grandfather must have thought how on earth am i going to let my family know i'm going to war luckily he had the presence of mind to write a note and throw it out of the train window at carluke and luckily somebody picked it up and gave it to his wife um, sadly she continues it turned out to be the last letter my grandfather wrote he didn't get the chance to write home when he got to France. Um, so there we are. That's a very sort of touching um, material and scribal textual uh, memory or echo of what you can imagine as a, as a farewell. And simply all we have there is a very hastily written note. He's got a... It's literally from a, a lined notepad. It's written in pencil. We've got the matchbox that survives as well. And then we've got the oral history that has been passed down from mother to daughter to granddaughter. And that that is what we have, those echoes of the past and that tender farewell. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Wonderful stuff. Wonderful stuff. Oh, I've got a humdinger for you after this, Sam Willis, from Korea Ooh. in the 16th century. Ooh, okay. Be prepared. Well, I am I am prepared for that. Uh, I just wanted to talk very briefly about um, kind of the physical remains of saying goodbye. I, I thought about this because there's a wonderful... Uh, there was recently a wonderful exhibition at the British Museum, which I saw, which showed a... Um, 
prehistoric drum, they're called. It's like a kind of chalk drum which has been uh, carved. And it was found in a burial in East Yorkshire, someone called Burton Agnes. It was found in 2015, but it's not been until now that it was actually been kind of really presented to... Um, presented to the country and what's fascinating about it is it was a, is a type of grave good and, and this made me think about grave goods and the kind of the material culture of of saying goodbye to someone saying farewell um for life on this earth and what what people might need for the future or or what would make the people who had been left behind feel better is quite interesting and I think probably a bit more uh, relevant here. So this grave is interesting, 5,000 years old. There are three children in it, uh, but they've been buried in a in an embrace and the eldest child is hugging, holding the two youngest and the two youngest, their hands are also also holding so they've been buried holding hands and it's um it's a, an emotional story which i think uh, transcends the generations the, the many many generations the millennia between then and now all of those 5000 years and it's really interesting to see what they were buried with as well and we have this this curious drum shaped chalk object which we actually don't understand and one of the most exciting things that's going to be coming out of prehistoric archaeology archaeological thought is what these items mean it's not the only one that's been discovered there are several others as well it's i think it's to do with protection um and this idea of farewell and and protection i think is really interesting about what you can do to help guarantee the safety of yourself when you go away or other people who have left whether it's leaving this world for for another another plane of existence or whether it's a, a physical leaving of of even crossing the channel let's say that i say that because when i was looking at the archaeology of leaving the archaeology of farewell i came across some wonderful excavations in the thames people mudlarking not really an excavation but just walking along the banks of the thames um if you do it at low tide you can find all sorts of wonderful things that come out and one of the things they found near london bridge particularly is a huge number of bent and broken knives daggers swords and coins all dating back to uh, pre-roman times and it is believed by archaeologists that this is to do with people trying to avoid bad luck when setting off on a voyage so it's to do with protection now there are other examples of people being buried in interesting positions uh, like this prehistoric burial in in Yorkshire well one uh, very well known one is the lovers of Valdaro which is uh, fabulous they're even older they're 6000 years old and they were discovered in Mantua in Italy in 2007 and what's important about these is that they were buried face to face with their arms around each other in the position of a of what you might think of as a lover's embrace um and i that's a if, if you want a really touching image i mean it looks like they've been posed like that but they uh, but by modern archaeologists you know by people interpreting it but they haven't at all this is how they were buried 6000 years ago um extraordinary and then uh, for a very different angle on this of course you could look at something like uh the howard carter and his excavation of um egyptian tombs in the first half of the 20th century and all of the remarkable objects that the um 
uh, the wealthiest, most influential people in the kingdom were left with to keep them safe uh, in their next in their next life. And I think among the most interesting things, certainly from the tune of Tutankhamun, is a fresh underwear. So he, you're not expected to go and to, um, to to live your new life with dirty pants, which I think is great. Uh, a dagger, which has only been discovered, is made out of a meteorite, which is uh, a truly astonishing sentence. And um, it does. It's one of those great things. I want one, Sam. I want one as well. But it makes you realise how unbelievably fantastic the Egyptians were when they came across something and they went, do you know what? This is not normal. Whatever this is, this ain't normal. And um, let's give it to the pharaoh and make a knife out of it. And they also have wonderful things um, called finger and toe stools, which are, they're like gold jewellery. They, they fit over the end of your fingers and toes. If you don't know what a toe stool, S-T-A-L-L, stool is, have a look, because the Egyptian ones are, are wonderful. And you weren't allowed to go into, you weren't allowed to leave this life. Well, no one would say farewell to you in this life without making sure that you had gold toes and gold fingers. And I'd love to know the reason for that. Oh, Sam Willis, that connects so well with what I was going to talk about. This is my last example, which is about 16th century Korean letters to the dead. And it very connected to this because it is about it's it is about burial practices in 16th century Korea. And it comes from an archaeological find from about two decades ago where archaeologists dug up a 16th century mummy in South Korea. And what this did was it opened up a, a completely new look on early modern uh, burial practices, but also on the way in which... Yeah, it, also on uh, interpersonal relations of people at the time, and the person, the, the the tomb that they dug up was the the mummy of somebody called Ing Tay, and he was a member of the Joseon uh, dynasty of Korea. So he's a fairly sort of um, a, an, an elite individual, and they've been able to trace exactly you know who he is he's in a stately was buried in a stately pine coffin and really interestingly it's so airtight that very little ha- damage has been caused it's uh, the, when they the archaeologists described it as it as it almost being uh, entombed in concrete so it was so it was such a good sort of good conditions for preserving everything when they opened it up what they found inside the tomb was you know very similar to what you've been describing, Sam. All these sort of items, presumably for an afterlife. There were items of clothing for him, for a wife and a child. There was a leather pouch. Um, but also, and this is really interesting, there were also 18 paper documents written by members of the family and friends, including 13 papers that when they transcribed them and read them, turned out to be nothing other than love letters from his wife. So this, what this uncovers is the practice of writing letters to the dead. Quite simply, when you are burying somebody, you put a letter in there. And just listen to this. Um, this is from the, the wife, who is, is unnamed, but the man dies, Yung Tae, dies fairly young at age 31 we don't know the reason for his death his wife was 
pregnant at the time um, because it's addressed to to one's father uh, dated the 1st of June 1586 you had always said dear let's live together until our hair turns grey and die on the same day how could you pass away without me who should I and our little boy listen to and how should we live how could you go ahead of me how did you bring your heart to me and how did I bring my heart to you whenever we lay down together you always told me dear do other people tr cherish and love each other like we do are they really like us how could you leave all that behind and go ahead of me I just cannot live without you I just want to go to you please take me to where you are my feelings towards you I cannot forget in this world and my sorrow knows no limit. Where would I put my heart in now and how can I live with the child missing you? Please look at this letter and tell me in detail in my dreams because I want to listen to your saying in detail in my dreams. I write this letter and I put it in. Look closely and talk to me. When I give birth to the child in me, who should call it father? Can anyone fathom how I feel? There is no tragedy like this under the sky. You are just in another place and not in such a deep grief as I am. There is no limit and end to my sorrows that I write roughly. Please look closely at this letter and come to me in my dreams and show yourself in detail and tell me. I believe I can see you in my dreams. Come to me secretly and show yourself. There is no limit to what I want to say, and I stop here. And then the letter ends. And this is the most extraordinary letter from the 16th century I have ever read. And it comes from a Korean woman writing to her dead husband, placed in a tomb, which I practice I have never come across. And I thank my colleague uh, Sue Broomhall, uh, in Melbourne um, to for, for sharing this with me it is an extraordinary it's an extraordinary um, text and what's also interesting is also inside the tomb uh, there is a, a pair of slippers which are woven from hair and wrapped in a paper parcel which are found next to the to the head of the tomb and they are they have scrawled on them or written on them with my hair, I weave this dot 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 before you were able to wear it. So clearly, she's she's been she's been stitching a pair of slippers, presumably made from her hair, and as a gift, and was unable to present this to her husband. In so instead, put that in the tomb with him. And I think there is a really sort of you know that's a really um, touching. Uh, you know, example of farewell. James, that's wonderful. Um, it's, it's so nice to hear. Hear an established scholar come up against something that he's not found before and to uh, to see how profoundly influenced you were by it. Lovely, lovely stuff. Guys, I hope you've enjoyed our history of farewell. Um, we're going to have some more uh, of similar themes coming your way. James, I think we should do the history of pride. Oh, I think we should definitely do pride. 
yeah, just yeah. seeing how how proud the Ukrainians are in their in their territory, what yes. they're fighting for. So I'll tell you what, next week we're going to do Pride, and we will do um, uh, another one as well. But that is corridors. yet to be decided. Corridors, corridors. yeah, okay, corridors. We're doing Pride and corridors. I can't wait. Um, please do follow me on social media if you want to keep in touch with what's happening. I'm at Dr. Sam Willis. And if you're interested in maritime and naval history, please listen to my other podcast, the Mariner's Mirror podcast. And you can follow me on Twitter at James Daybell. You can follow the podcast at Unexpected Pod. We are also on Instagram and Facebook, so come and make friends with us there. You can check out our back catalogue and get signed copies of our books by looking at our website, historiesoftheunexpected.com. And should you wish to become a patron of Histories of the Unexpected, head over to patreon.com, even head over to patreon.com, where you can (laughs) check out our page and help us change the way in which people think about the past. Meanwhile, be safe and stay well. Absolutely. Cheers, guys. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM. Want truly hydrated skin? Medocia's Body Care Breakthrough Hyaluronic Body Serum. It's clinically proven to increase hydration by 161%. It's lightweight, fast-absorbing, and delivers 24 hours of hydration for silky smooth skin without any sticky afterfeel. Treat your skin to clean, vegan skincare from Osea. Get 10% off your first order with code SUMMER at OseaMalibu.com. That's O-S-E-A Malibu.com code SUMMER.